We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Jussie Smollett is crazy. We should start our own podcast, Dudes with Curly Froze. <laughs> name of our podcast story. I'm telling you, I'm feeling it. It's going to happen. <laughs> he came to the studio, and I just tried to keep up. I'm not a racist, you guys. Some of my best fathers were white. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> the boy be crazy i might get in trouble <laughs> fuck fox news with a sandpaper dildo bro like seriously i said it i, I said in the words of the great nene leaks i said what i said deal with it i'm not saying i disagree i understand but jesse just goes in let's go let's go in that's just how he's built because i look at myself like i'm the gay tupac you know what i'm saying like i'm Hard as fuck in my mind. You know what I'm saying? In my mind. Fuck what y'all think. In my mind. Buckle your seatbelt. It's a wild one today. Hey, Tory. <laughs> what you doing? No, I'm good. It's Empire's Jussie Smollett today on Torrey Show. You probably know Jesse Smollett as an actor. He's the middle brother on Empire, the gay brother, the R&B brother. He's been acting for a really long time. He was in the Emilio Estevez hockey comedy, The Mighty Ducks, when he was 10. And he was in Ridley Scott's thriller Alien Covenant last year. But his real passion is singing. His first solo full-length album, Some of My Music, is out now, and it's soulful and modern and very free. We talk about how he earned his musical freedom and what it's like to do Empire, a show with a lot more improv than I realized, and what it's like to work in Hollywood in general. Jussie's funny, but he's wise, kind-hearted, and sensitive too. But of course, he's also crazy. He came to the studio with a nice little entourage who you'll hear laughing in the background sometimes because, you know, the boy is Craig.
What do you love about singing? It's the first thing I know. It's the first thing that I ever knew. And it was in my times of sadness or happiness or, you know, joy or, or pain. It's always been the thing that I go to. I truly, 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 it's always been the thing that I go to. It's the thing that I, it's one of the few things that I'm okay with acknowledging that I know how to do. <laughs> that makes any sense. So you are know? you saying you're going to be like, I don't know how to act, but I know how to sing? No, acting is another one of those okay. things, Corey. Okay. okay, okay, good. Okay, good. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> no, but with all the humility in my heart, it's just I know what makes me happy and I know how I feel when I do it. And there's there's no there's nothing else that I know how to do um publicly that would be that would be that I would feel as good and as wonderful doing when I do it as as singing. How do you write a song? It just happens from different different <coughs> different ways, excuse me. Um different ways. It could be in the car. You know what I'm saying? It could be I remember I went on a date which was one of like the best dates I'd ever been on and I literally went home that night. Um let you know it wasn't that good of a date because I went home that night <laughs> alone and <laughs> had time to write a song. <laughs> let you know I ain't getting no good good. <laughs> so it wasn't that good. But it was a first date. Okay. We'll say that. Okay. So, so you're a gentleman. We weren't skanks. Okay. We'll just say that. And not that there's anything wrong with getting the good good on the first date. No. Stuff happens. It, you you know, know what I'm saying? If the connection is if there. If the connection is there, hoe it out. <laughs> Ho it out, Torre. Ho it out. So, but this one, I went home and I wrote a song and recorded it the very next day. Really? And, you know, then there are other songs where it's just like, you know, it kind of builds. But for me, it's just, there's, I couldn't answer like, how do you write a, how do I write a song? Because it's different every single time. You know, a lot of times I am just driving around in my car. I, I'm a people watcher. I always have been. I go. I used to go to the park or go, you know, somewhere crowded and just put on my headphones and just watch people walking to the beat of the music, you know, and I would be obsessed with that. And I still am. It's just I have to move a little differently nowadays. So I drive around in my car a lot by myself and it calms me um, just listening to music and kind of I usually have the voice memos on on my phone and uh, I just... I just sing, and then I'll find something or not. But sing just, into your phone. Not into my phone while I'm driving. I just put the voice memo on and put it in the cup holder and then just press record. <laughs> <laughs> and it was probably like hours, and I'll be like, yep, that's good. Let's listen to that. So are you looking for a melody, a hook? Uh, just whatever comes, because sometimes the, sometimes the melody comes, sometimes the, the hook comes, sometimes it's a full song. Sometimes I just sing, and it's literally a full song. There's a song called All of the Above that I wrote before um, the show existed, Empire, and it ended up being in the first season. And when I tell you, I heard the track, and I told my producer, David Ott, I said, who's that for? And he's like, uh, this is for my artist, Jay. And I said, uh, J-U-S-S-I-E. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, he's like, no, man, I gave this to my artist. And I was like, I'm your artist, too. And I was like, how long has this brother had the track? He's like, for about two months. I was like, and he hasn't turned anything in yet? He's like, no. I said, um, keep it playing. I went in, I swear, I shit you not. I went in, I peed. And as I'm peeing, I'm literally start saying, this ain't 
just some crazy sexy love song. And I literally went back in, was like, turn it on, and sang the song one time all the way through, and that is the song. So it happens like that sometimes. It one just, time. It's, yeah, one single time. Did not do anything else, just one time, because I was feeling it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's amazing. Me at the urinal, man. That's <laughs> <laughs> the way to be. But that's because music is the universal language. You know what I'm saying? It's like it comes from everywhere and nowhere at all. And that's why music is so special to me. What were you so musically? What were you trying to accomplish with this album? Some, some of my music. Were you was there, you know, a, a goal, a sonic goal that you were trying to get to? I just wanted to make a timeless record. That's it. Everybody was like, "You got to do something that's like just groundbreaking. That's that's never been done before." And I'm just like, "How about we make just a damn bomb ass like timeless album? One that." maybe 30 years from now, young people are being inspired by the same way that I'm inspired by what's going on or, you know, um, uh, off the wall, albums like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the type of thing that I wanted to create. And I just wanted to create a timeless record. And I'm in no way, you know, putting my album in the same category of, you know, Marvin Gaye or Michael Jackson. but, But I do know that... I just wanted to create something. I always want to create something that lives, that doesn't, that doesn't fly today. And then, you know, we're in a in a in a marathon, not a sprint, with this one. Mm-hmm. But so, but yeah, is, is there an album or a sound that you were like, I'm going toward that? Because it's not. It, 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 you're not saying it's off the wall. It's not a disco record. It's a little bit more toward the direction of what's going on, but not exactly. Yeah. Is, is are there? Is I there usually a, take like I usually take like three artists or three type of albums that I really love and and I'm inspired by that. I don't think I set out to make anything sound like you know, I'm so inspired by the Jam and Lewis, you know Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. <laughs> Jam and Terry Lewis all that all that just Janet some of the stuff. greatest people and the greatest artists, the greatest producers, um, from the stuff they did with Janet to the stuff they did with Usher. Like they are just the stuff that they just do, period, with all of their different artists. And I'm just I love them. Like for instance, Smile was definitely inspired by that Jam and Lewis, you know, um uh Janet Jackson, you know, new edition Can You Stand the Rain type of sound. Um but yeah, my whole thing is I just wanted lots of horns. I wanted lots of, and that was inspired for sure by the Quincy Jones sound of it all. Okay. Um, I definitely wanted a lot of horns, a lot of guitars, a lot of strings. My music in Empire is very piano driven, and my music here is very, um, it's very guitar, it's very horn, it's very live instruments. And there's a lot of pride I get out of this. I am who I am, accept mm-hmm. me, you accept yourself, and. That message seems really important. Yeah, I mean, I think that that message comes through because it's a very reflective album. You know, it's a very, it's a very thoughtful um, piece, I think. And um, I had been through a lot coming up to this album, so for that, I just wanted to be honest. You know, for to put insecurities on as the first track. It just kind of lays it all out there, and I wanted to just lay it all out and be like, all right, cool, now let's have a good time. What's the difference between a good singer and a great singer? Um, I think that's debatable. 
as all art is to debatable. To me, it's to me, it's not necessarily their the technique all the time, although that's important. You know, that motherfucker's out here thinking <laughs> that shit don't matter. But it does. Um, but at the same time, nothing is more important than the way that you make people feel. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like you have people out here that maybe are not technically vocalists, but are wonderful singers yes. because it's about how they make you feel. You know what I'm saying? They're autobiographical singer-songwriters or they just have something in their tone or something in their voice, something in their spirit that just makes you feel something. That, to me, I will take over a technical, you know, any day. I'm totally with you. My favorite singer of all time, the greatest singer of all time to me, is Nina Simone. Oh, uh. She's not the technical Bruh. mastery of Whitney Houston or Mariah Carey, but she makes me feel things that I uh -huh. am afraid yep. to go. I mean, the first time I Bob was... Bob Dylan is another one. Yeah. Though. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Two yeah. people that, that you know, I mean, Nina Simone to me, though, she, she is uh, by all means the epitome of yeah. a vocalist Yeah, because she is a great vocal and, and she has that raw ability to make you feel and to make you see things and smell things and taste things that you never would have had you not listened to her music. Yes. You know what I'm saying? That's 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 Nina Simone. <clears throat> no, I remember being afraid of some of the emotions that she made me mm -hmm. feel when I was listening to her in my early 20s and like, I'm not ready for this. This right. is too painful that she's bringing, and nobody else is bringing that out. And the technical ability doesn't bring that out, right? It's but something that's God. In you. That's the universe. Whatever you believe in, God, the universe, whatever you believe in, to me, that's 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 some sort of spirit speaking through her because she will you listen to her music and you can start to cry. You know what I'm saying? And it might not and you don't even know why. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you're not even listening to the lyrics at that moment, but you got to go back and you got to re-listen to the lyrics. But for whatever reason, it's something about her vocal that just makes you weep. Yes. And it does. Is there a moment or what is the moment? from childhood when you said oh singing that's me i don't know because i don't remember a time that that wasn't me honest to god like i remember being a kid and it's weird because i remember as far back as being like a year and a half and i know that that sounds bananas but it's true and i don't remember being a year and a half or so from other people's stories like i remember you know Shannon in the Bay Area when we um when we were kids, you know what I'm saying? Like picking on me and my older sister Jazz beating her ass. <laughs> I remember that. And it's not because it's a story. Like I remember that in real life. She took my yogurt one time, my Yoplay, my French vanilla Yoplay yogurt. And Jazz went and whooped that ass because she was always picking on me. And she whooped that ass. And I remember that. I remember being young and people asking me what I wanted to be. And I said, Michael Jackson or Kermit the Frog. <laughs> I swear, everybody thinks I'm joking, but that's really real. I said I wanted to be Michael Jackson or Kermit the Frog. What, what I think would, I'm more like Kermit the Frog. Well, what would being Kermit the Frog look like? Like, what would that Kermit be? Kermit the Frog had friends. He was kind. He like I identified with these people who were sensitive and were performers because I was very sensitive growing up. I was very funny and I was also very sensitive. I could make you laugh and I would also cry like anytime and I wasn't faking it. I, I'm a cancer also, so I'm very emotional. Like whatever I feel, I feel it deeply. Like when I'm pissed off, <laughs> now I'm pissed off. <laughs> and when I'm happy, I'm a happy motherfucker. <laughs> when I'm sad, I weep. 
uncontrollably. That's just who I am. And I remember always being that way. So Kermit the Frog, like Muppets Take Manhattan, when he lost everything, he forgot who he was. And then he had to get back to his friends. And then he got married to Miss Piggy. To me, on the surface, y'all might laugh. But to me, on the surface, that was real life shit. <laughs> That's like real friendship, family, community, talent. <laughs> this is the story of Kermit the Frog. Shit was real to me. Oh, he's real. Okay. <clears throat> what do you love about acting? Um, I love about acting that you can find little pieces of yourself in every single character. And I love about acting that there comes a point where it teaches you, for me at least, it teaches me a lot about judgment. It teaches me how to not be so judgmental based on the characters that you know I play or based on the characters that I play opposite. Um, it's about finding all of those shades of gray and holding up a mirror almost without preaching about it, but holding up a mirror to people really and to myself and just being like, so is this you? Is this, is this a piece of who you are? Um, I think the difference between acting and singing for me is that acting is a piece of who I am, whereas is, is, is bringing a piece of me to a character, whereas music is all of me. Mm. And to me, that is very, very freeing um, to be able to be literal as someone else, but then be able to be even more literal as myself. So, so how did you build Jamal Lyon? Um, it wasn't easy. It was not easy. I think it probably seems much easier than it is because people think that I'm, you know, they see me in interviews or they see me out in public and I'm real like chill or like regular cat, like man of the people. You know what I'm saying? But so they kind of think that that somehow and that me, that Jamal and I are exactly alike, but we're not, you know? I've worked for every single thing that I've ever had. I was not born with any kind of spoon, silver, plastic, recycled, <laughs> dirty ass spoon, whatever it is. There was no spoon in my mouth when I was born. I worked for every, my entire family. We worked for every single thing that we have from the ground up. Um, but that's just one part of Jamal, the inheritance. Sure, there's that, but there's also there's also the 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 building of Jamal was really I still fight with that every single day of the building of Jamal just making sure that he's a representation of a black man of a black gay man um in the right light and I still I still fight for that every single day I have we're going into season 5 and I have yet to phone it in and don't get me wrong like I fight I fight because it's important to me it's important to me the images that are shown it's interesting because I heard Kerry Washington say something and it was really deep to me. She said, she said, it's because of people like Felicia Rashad, who played Claire Huxtable, who was almost a spotless character. You know what I'm saying? That we now can have females of color have characters that are majorly flawed. You can have someone like an Olivia Pope. You can have someone like a Cookie Lion. You can have someone like an Annalise Keating. My goal is... I feel like right now where we are with black LGBTQ, with the black LGBTQ community, we still are in a position where, and we're changing that over the last years, we have been changing that, but I still feel like Jamal is somewhat like 
we're still in that category of people are afraid to have him be too flawed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Because he still has to be a representation, a good representation of not an irresponsible representation of what it is to be a youngish black gay man. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. And you have active homophobia coming at you on the oh show. Oh my gosh. Right on the show, right? The show puts that out on the table. So your character has to take that and hold yourself up, mm-hmm. right? And, and stand up against mm-hmm. that, right? So, I mean, you, you, you have to provide that right in the moment. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I have that in my real life also. You know what I'm saying? Of like, course. Our, the thing about Jamal and versus me is like our, the similarities of what we deal with is very, like I bring a lot of these stories that Jamal deals with are many times stories that have been chucked from my 
real life over the last years. You know, every single season we all, um, and I haven't missed one season, every single season I've gone into the writer's room and just told them what I've been going through over the last couple of years, over the last, you know, season. Um, And they take that into account. Um, But yeah, homophobia is everywhere. (laughs) Of course, of course. Take me into, you shoot season one, Mm -hmm. you probably thought you had a nice TV show. Sure. And then you see it's a phenomenon. And that first season, every episode rated higher than the previous episode, which had never been done in Mm -hmm. television history. And you're realizing, holy shit, this is a national phenomenon. Everyone's talking about it. Mm -hmm. So when you come back for season two, now it's different, right? Because the first first season we shot a nice show. We like it. But now it's a phenomenon. Now it's a thing with a capital T. So how did that change what y'all were doing? For me, it didn't change anything I was doing. I knew that shit wasn't going to um, keep rising forever. You can't. <laughs> I'm just like, y'all, uh, this isn't going to be this way forever. But you had huge, huge numbers. Of course. It, it was a huge appointment viewing show. People were dying for that show. Yeah, of course. And the thing is, is that we were the little show that I feel like nobody really fully believed in. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I feel like Dana Walden, the head at Fox, I mm-hmm. feel like she believed in it. But I don't know if everybody else, I'm sure that people were like side-eyeing her being like, uh, who the hell are all these black people in this damn show we, talking we, about music? You didn't really sell that many ads the first season. No. And there were no designers that were messing with us. All of like Most of the clothes that were worn by Cookie Line that everybody loves and everything were literally... Half of those clothes were pulled out of Monique's closet, um, uh, who was married to Timberland at the time, and came into the the costuming department and helped out, helped Paolo and helped Rita and Alita. And really, a lot of Cookie's clothes were taken from her closet wow. because there were no designers. There weren't guest stars that were trying to be on our show. You know, they were all Naomi Campbell and people like that because they were out of Lee's contact list. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden we became this phenomenon and second season came and there were so many hands in the gumbo pot. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And we're like, we're making gumbo. And then they're like, um, how about some oregano? And we're like, no, we're making gumbo. They're like, what about a little bit of white pepper? And we're like, no, it's not. It, we're making we're making gumbo. And you know what I'm saying? They're like, what about a little caviar? We're like, no, motherfucker, we making gumbo. That shit don't belong in there. You know, and that I know as a fact. And I can say it honestly now. Like, I know that's why season two in the beginning, (laughs) with like, we will all say it. We're all honest about it. You know what I'm saying? That season two, we tried some things that just didn't work. And we, at the time, knew we're like, this is going off the rails. You know what I'm saying? And then towards the end of season two, we brought it back. For me... I always compare it to Thriller versus Bad. Okay. Like Thriller was such a phenomenon that when Bad came out and didn't sell the same units that Thriller sold, everybody was like, oh, this album didn't do well. It's like, no, it did amazing. It just didn't do as well as Thriller. As the greatest album right, of all time. Exactly. And well, Off the Wall is the greatest album. It, of all the time. Sonically, Off the Wall is the greatest okay. album, but, but Thriller, greatest selling album. Great. Of all time. Exactly. That's what okay, I'm good. Because me and Trey Byers, who plays Andre, we argue about this all the time. Oh, no. Off the Wall is absolutely the superior Thank album. Thank you. I mean, and, and don't what? get me wrong, Thriller is everything. Thriller is great. Thriller is everything. But Off the Wall. Is it? I mean, for one That's thing, it. Off the Wall is a cohesive album. Right. It all makes sense. You could put it on and leave it on. Thriller right. is great, but it's like a greatest hits record. 
right? There's, because there's so many damn hits on that record, well, too. Well, there's so many hits, but there are just so many different songs and styles. It's wonderful. It's not a cohesive thing. It's just thing. off the wall is the greatest of yes. all time. I mean, let's keep it 100. Absolutely. Um, the greatest album that Prince didn't make. Please continue. Oh, fair enough. Okay, that's fine. Okay, I see what this Bloods and Crips situation is going to be. I... <laughs> Wait, are you saying that Michael is better than Prince? No, I'm not saying you? that at all. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, you can. A and lot of anybody, people that. anybody who even bothers comparing the two is ignorant. Is ignorant. Like, fair. Let those kings be kings. True. Please. Like, I wouldn't compare Whitney to Janet. Right. Why would you ever do that? They're nothing alike. Well, Prince and Michael were more similar than Whitney and Janet. Whatever. We're moving on from this. <laughs> I'm like, I can't choose between Michael and Prince. But, you know, it's just this thing of, like, where even for Empire, it's almost like even our failures are only failures based on our own successes. Sure. Yes. So for that, I'm yes. just like, you know, it's cool. Take me into doing a scene with Taraji P. Henson. <laughs> And what that's like. <laughs> I love Taraji Petunia Henson. Her real middle name is Penda, but I just like to say Petunia. <laughs> She's like, my name is Petunia! Uh, Taraji Petunia Henson. Does she surprise you? Yes. She is, um, I always say she is the love child of Betty Davis and Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> she is. She is phenomenal. She is... She will forever have a huge piece of my heart because she is just so special to me. And from day one, she's just become like one of my best friends. And truly, truly, I trust her with like everything. Take me into it. You have your lines. She's got her lines. You guys got to interact. We're just a show of improv also. Like what the you, writers what? are wonderful, but we're a show of a lot of improv. You, you, for instance, I don't think people realize that Taraji said Boo Boo Kitty. That wasn't in the script. And that became like an iconic term. Everybody's yeah. like, oh, Boo Boo Kitty. Yeah. Poor Grace. Like, baby girl Grace Byers. That just she, came out in the moment. She plays Anika. People are like twice removed. People don't really call me Jamal anymore. But it's like there was a time where they would call me Jamal. But at least that's the character I play. They don't even call her Anika. They call her Boo Boo Kitty. <laughs> and then they call her also like Kitty is her last name. So they'll be like, hey, Boo Boo. It's like her first name is not Boo, middle name Boo, last name Kitty. It's not like that. So wait, so if you're improvising a lot, I know you got to be on your toes when you're in there with Taraji. Yeah, I'm on my toes. I mean, take me in I'm there. Ready. What, what, Boy, what is that? What is that like? It's it's. I believe that it's an actor or artist's dream to work with someone like that. That is so free in who they are as an artist. You know what I'm saying? And she, she's just dope. She's just dope. And she's a real girl. Like she's a, she's a woman and she's, she's just honest about who she is. And I, I'm very inspired by that. And I think that that's why we've clicked so well and become such good friends is because we're both just very honest. Does she surprise you? And then you got to respond to that. Oh, yeah. But at this point, I kind of know, I feel like I know Taraji the way that Jamal knows Cookie. You know what I'm saying? So my responses to her, it's fine. Like, I can handle it because she's the queen. I'm going to always bow down to the queen. You know what I'm saying? But I can hold my own. So it's all good. I love working with her. So, I love working with her and Terrence. Well, well, yes, Terrence Howard. You're in a scene with the great Terrence Howard. What is that like? Great, Terrence Howard, motherfucker. 
what is that like? <laughs> it's dope, man. You know what I'm saying? That nigga's real my good. Um, <laughs> Uh, working with Terrence is, in my mind, and I've said this before, working with Terrence is I would love to sit down with someone like Al Pacino and see if it was like that to work with Marlon Brando. Because mm. I feel like Terrence is our generation's Marlon Brando. You know what I'm saying? Kind of misunderstood, a little bit crazy, you know what I'm saying? Um, but a lot of bit full of love, you know what I'm saying? And And... Sometimes people don't like the way that he says things, but usually what he is saying is in fact true and is correct. Um, to work with him, <laughs> again, is an artist's dream. I remember there's one scene in particular that was the end of season two. It's like right when our show started getting real good again. <laughs> like, right, right After like the first... 14 episodes of season two i feel like it got really good again once jamal got shot and in that in that episode i remember talking to um terrence and we just didn't believe the scene we just didn't believe it and we sat there in Cinna hamry's office our executive producer director and we rewrote the scene and i remember when we did it the very last line of it he grabs me by my throat and he says you are an embarrassment to me. And the day that you die of AIDS is the day that I will celebrate. And when we were writing the scene, we're like, what's the worst thing that a father could tell his son, let alone his gay son? You know what I'm saying? And that's what Terrence came up with. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> damn. God. I wasn't expecting that shit, but okay, let's do it. And we did it. And it's just afterwards, it was, it was painful because I... I know that story and I've seen that story, um, but I've never seen it on television. And when we did it afterwards, we just like collapsed in each other's arms and just like hugged each other and just kept repeating, I love you, man. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. You know, I said, I love you, man. He said, I love you, man. But, you know. But it was really was a moment. And to me, that represents Terrence. He is fearless. He will do whatever is right for the character, and he's just he's he's a great artist. Okay, so Lee Daniels, <laughs> Lee Daniels. How did well, what does he sound like? First of all, honey, honey. I'll be like, I'll call him up if I really want something to happen. All I got to do is I got to call him up. I'll be like, Lee, guess what? He's like, what? I say, Lee, the streets are talking. Honey, honey, what are the streets saying? What are the streets saying? And I tell him what the streets are saying. He's like, if it's good, then it'll be like, I love it. And then if it's bad, it'll be like, those motherfuckers. <laughs> so that's just Lee. That's just Lee. Like, Lee's the realest motherfucker on the planet. And he just is what he is. He is who he is. You're doing a scene. He has notes. He comes over and tells you. What is that conversation like? He will say, here's the thing. And before my very first audition for Empire... I went, I went to have breakfast with Alfre Woodard, and she prayed with me before the ver- the day, the morning of the very first audition for Empire. And then I call and I called Journey, my little sister, also. And both of them had read or worked or some form of had some sort of interaction with Lee Daniels. So they warned me. So I wasn't, I didn't flinch when in my audition 
And this is the same thing as when we're doing a scene. He stopped me in the middle of it. And he's like, you're acting. Cut it in half. Throw it away. <laughs> and I'm like, who the fuck is this motherfucker? I'm like, oh, it's Lee Daniels. Got it. What does that note mean, though? Just you're acting. And throw it away. Cut it in half. You're doing too much. It f- I feel like you're reading the script. Just be natural. You know what I'm saying? And to me, that that's all I need to hear. I didn't flinch. And I keep it going. You know what I'm saying? So, um he will always say that. If he feels like it's not real, he will let you know. He will call your ass up. He doesn't want you acting. Like, no, he doesn't want you acting at all. I think that that's why his movies or television show of Empire, why no matter how crazy the storyline gets, it still feels somehow, it's very confusing sometimes because as over the top as Precious may have seemed, as over the top as Empire is, as over the top as The Butler or Monster's Ball or any one of those films are, or projects, period, that he does are, there's a certain level of realness to it. And I think that that comes from him. He wants the difference. He wants to find the beauty in, in the mundane and the, the, the not yet visited. You know what I'm saying? And for that, I respect him so much. He's become like literally like a second father to me. Really? Yeah, absolutely. With without a doubt. He's like he literally is like my father. What is some of the wisdom that he has given you? Um just to walk in your truth, to be fearless, to not expect anybody to understand who you are or what you represent, but also not to need for anybody to understand. Um he's very much so like my mother. In that sense, and I do, can't say honestly, uh, I love my father, rest in peace. But, but I, I can't say that I've ever quite had that type of relationship with a man before, mm. where it was as pure and open and honest as the relationship that I have with my mother. It must be empowering as a gay black man to work for a gay black man who's as open and as accepting of himself as he seems to be. He's as he's even more open and accepting <laughs> of himself. But I mean, he loves himself and there's surely... Yes, he does. <laughs> sure does. That Lee Daniels, he fucking loves himself. <laughs> Lee, you love you, don't you? <laughs> I hope they don't splice up this interview and just show that one part. And it's like, Jesse got beef with Lee Daniels. No. No, I love him. Uh, uh, what would you ask? That as a gay black actor, you have a gay black man in charge. And yeah. that must be powerful and help create some of the trust that allows you to go to these different places. Definitely, because I know that those are the places that he would want and he would expect me to go to. You know what I'm saying? And I can't say that... You know, sometimes it can feel, sometimes it can feel, you can feel alone. You know what I'm saying? And so to have that many times, very often, you can feel alone. Um, not just as a gay black man, but as a, as, a, as a black man in this industry, period. As a black person in this industry, period. You can feel as a black person in this industry, as a gay person in this industry, as a gay black person in this industry, it's you can feel alone. You know what I'm saying? And I've been open from the get-go. So, you know, it is it is what it is. But there are definitely those times when I do call Lee and I'm like, Lee, 
it's not going right. And it's because they just don't understand. It's because they don't understand. And when I say they, I don't mean our writers. I don't mean anybody like that because they are wonderful. I just mean the higher ups don't get it. So mm-hmm. they might push something on us that's not real. And I have to fight it. But I'm still not at the top of the totem pole, at the top of the food chain. So I do have to have those moments where I call Lee and I'm like, Lee, they're just not getting it. And I don't want to feel like a black actor on a white show, you know what I'm saying, where there's a bunch of white people telling you how to act black. And you're saying, I don't act this way. We don't act this way. And they're like, yeah, we know, but um, you're going to act this way for this check. <laughs> so for me, it's just a thing of like, I don't want to do that either. So there are moments where I'm just like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And I'm not a diva. I'm very easy to work with. I'm very humble. I'm very, you know, super easy to work with. However, I will stand up for two things always. The music and I will stand up against stereotypical things. Whether it's my character or whether it's Cookie's character, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stick my nose in it because it needs to be stuck in it. What is the hardest scene that you've had to do? There's a couple scenes. Um, But honestly, one of the scenes that was the most difficult was the scene with um, Lucius where he said the thing about you know, you're an embarrassment, and when you the day you die of AIDS, I will celebrate. Number one, I'm an AIDS activist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, that hits hard because I know so many people that have gone through that. I, I, I've heard people, I, people have said stuff like that to me before. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just like, where's your humanity? You know, and that right there, some of the scenes that I've had to do that deal with direct homophobia are difficult sometimes because... It makes you feel like you just want to get all of the things that you have on your chest off. And then you realize that you're still playing a character. So it's like, you know, because I look at myself like I'm the gay Tupac. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm hard as fuck in my mind. You know what I'm saying? In my mind. Fuck what y'all think. In my mind. Uh, I'm hard as hell. But, but you know, Jamal's not. You know, I'll curse somebody out in a heartbeat, but Jamal won't necessarily do that. He might take a different approach. He's so, softer than you. He's definitely um, more, a little, maybe a little bit more politically correct. A little bit, yeah. He's a little softer around around the edges. He's a little, a little doughier. You're much more taking your platform into the issues you care about. Yeah, and yeah. he's not doing. And that. those issues didn't come from me having a platform those issues were being dealt with from me in my life the platform that i had when like two people were listening Mm -hmm. still use that platform nothing has changed i haven't started i haven't started to talk louder i haven't i haven't all of a sudden started to yell because it's the thing to do because somehow it'll get me more followers or something like that it's always been this way when i had like five followers and they were all my siblings (laughs) you know what i'm saying like i still was was talking when your sister was in eve's bayou and she was incredible in it so incredible did that what did that do for you or to you did that say to you i could do that too or well no we had been doing it i had been acting since i was four years old you know, and we got into the business very early on. I got my SAG card in 1987. So do the math. Like we've been doing this for a minute, and 
I had gotten out of the business when I was 12 after our show that was on ABC for one season got canceled. Fuck you, ABC. (laughs) (laughs) I went years with no checks because of your motherfucking asses. Still mad. They canceled us. They canceled Margaret Cho's All-American Girl. They canceled My So-Called Life. They canceled the Steve Harvey show. Yo, I loved my so-called life. And I love the Steve Harvey show. <laughs> ABC, all bullshit channel. <laughs> Except now, because I fucking love Blackish. Love Blackish. And Grownish. Love Scandal. Well, Grownish is on Freeform. Oh, oh excuse that me. ABC excuse, does own that. Excuse me. But uh, no, Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder and, and Blackish. I'm all about the shows on ABC. ABC's now. doing it big. Um, but in 94, 95, fuck them. It was doing scandalous shit. So, long story short, I got out of the business and I didn't get back in until I was probably like 26. Because I was just like, I'm just going to do music. I'm like, that's all I really want to do any anyway. So, acting is cool. Maybe I'll pick it up. Maybe I'll do a musical. But I'm going to do music and that's it. And I really honed my craft as a musician. Do you practice? Yeah. I mean, like, are you on the keyboard every day? Are no, you not singing every day. Not anymore. I used to, but no, not anymore. I, I sing every day. I don't play every day, but I sing every single day. I also feel like I'm not that great of a piano player. Like, I'm like, not like Jamal Lyon. Like, just walking around the house singing, or you do, like, scale? What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Scales usually at least at least four times a week. And then I'm sing- but I sing every single day. Every single day. And I drink my little olive oil to, and I gargle with it. To yourself or I mean to people, to No, audience. to myself. <laughs> I'm not like walking up to people and be like, hey Tori, <laughs> what you doing? <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> Would you like to be my friend? <laughs> no, I'm I'm good. <laughs> Do you still have to audition? Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, I would think, you know, by now they like, you, you've seen the work. Do you want me or not? 
But some... Yeah, but it might be characters, though, that have nothing to do with any characters I've ever played. So it's kind of like you don't want to... If they're like, oh, you're going to play, I don't know, a, a, a murderer or a, a army military dude. Like, how are you supposed to be like, well, there's this character named Jamal Lyon, a gay billionaire pop star. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, you know, I understand it still. I think that, you know, it's all about paying dues. And I don't always have to audition. For instance, there was a cameo that Reggie Hudlin asked me to do in Marshall as Langston Hughes. That was just... You know, that was just him asking me to do it. There are other movies that are coming up that, you know, I either created for myself or um, or were created with me in mind. So it's 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 kind of luck of the draw. It's just but but I'm certainly in my mind, I'm certainly not above auditioning. I still audition. I audition for Alien Covenant. I, well, yeah, let's talk about that. How did you how did you get that? Um, I auditioned like everybody else. I don't think they knew who I was. Really? Yeah. I I don't. I mean, they knew like once I got on set, they knew who I was. But I don't think that Ridley Scott like is sitting at home watching, watching Empire, Empire, being like, "Oh, I love Cookie." <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't think he's sitting there. <laughs> I'm curious because Ridley Scott is one of the great directors yes. in modern Hollywood. Yes. What is being directed? And by he know him? he fucked up with that Egyptian movie. <laughs> wow. Wow, you really are the gay Tupac. When when you are being directed by Ridley Scott, what is that like? What are his notes like when he comes over? Like, okay, that was great, but he's so funny. He's so funny, and he's so he's so funny and serious at the same time. It's so exciting to watch him work because he's literally like a little kid in a candy store, and he's so respectful. You know what I'm saying of of people's time and people's talent. It's so interesting because we worked um, French hours, like French lunch hours, where we would work through our lunch. And he, because his whole thing is we work 6.30 in the morning to 6.30 in the evening, every single day. And his whole thing is people should be able to have dinner with their families. I'm like, whoa, I've never, ever been on a set like that in my life. So you work through lunch so you could get dinner. Yeah, yeah. And and he's just a, he's just a really sweet guy, you know, um, as far as I see. I, I, but, so, but, but when you're on set... And you're doing your thing, and he yells cut, and he's going to come over and say something to you. What's he going to say? He didn't just come over. I mean, I had like seven, I had like seven to 12 lines of Alien. <laughs> so, <laughs> there wasn't that much to say. I'm like, nigga, you really going to give me a note on this shit? <laughs> on this 2.5 lines? <laughs> uh, no, he's he's great. He just, he comes in and he's like, he he... He doesn't really give a lot of notes. Maybe he gave notes to people that had more lines. I don't know. <laughs> but for me, it was just, you know, he was really sweet and he was really kind. And, and um, he would just come in and kind of tap you on your shoulder and be like, good. good. <laughs> that was it. That was good. The most notes that I got was on the, the shower scene at the end of Alien when I was like about to get it in with my wife and then got killed by the alien. <laughs> which to me, honestly, is one of the greatest death scenes ever. What, I'm so happy. What did he say? He was just like, move your ass cheek here. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Like real shit. Like, no, he wasn't. It was so choreographed. It was so choreographed. So it's like my left ass cheek had to be to the left. You better as, stop. No, I'm serious. Really? As my wife, as Callie, who was playing my wife, as she's turned another way so that you can see side boob, but not the full areola. And, you know, you see the top of the ass, but not the crack. You know, all this stuff. All this stuff. Are you serious? Well, yeah, it's a PG-13 movie, bro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, 
How did, I, if I was doing a Lee Daniels movie, I mean, maybe it'd be different. I know, I know that your Langston moment in Marshall was brief, mm-hmm. but it was memorable. You looked like him, right? I mean, it was, it was, it was great. Thank you. How'd you get Langston down? Um, Langston Hughes has been one of my great idols since I was a child. The first book, the first grown book, I should say, that my mother let me read. She would, we would all have to be broken in with a grown person's book that my mom allowed us to read. I think that my older sister was like Jubilee or, or you know, the autobiography of Malcolm X. My older brother was like Malcolm X or Booker T. Washington's book. And I, my mom bought me The Ways of White Folks. And I remember reading Cora Unashamed. And it just hit me. It hit me in the same way at seven years old, the way that you say like a Nina Simone song hits you, where mm. I just... I. I didn't understand how I could understand it so deeply. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I just became obsessed with everything Langston Hughes. And so when the time came, and I always said, I'm going to play Langston Hughes. I'm going to play Langston Hughes. And when the time came, he came up to me. I was doing a tribute to John Legend at the Image Awards, and Reggie Hudlin came up to me and was like, yo, I'm doing the Thurgood Marshall story. And with Chadwick Boseman. And I'm like, yeah, Chadwick is dope as hell. And this was pre-Black Panther. Uh-huh. But we already knew that Chadwick was dope as hell. We'd already done James Brown. We'd already done James already Brown, done 42, Robinson. Like, like all of that. So we knew how dope Chadwick is. Um, and I said, okay, that's dope. Who do you want me to play? And he's like, I want you to do a cameo. Um, and I was like, please let it be somebody dope. Please let it be somebody dope. <laughs> I'm like, please, please, please. And he's like, he said, Langston Hughes. I said, are you kidding me? My middle name is Langston. That was it. And we did, we did it. I went to Buffalo and did the, did the little, it was like a day I had to take out of Empire. I had to shave my facial hair, butt ass, like just no facial hair. And we did it. And I'm so glad that we did. But I did tell Reggie, I said, I'll do it on one condition. He's like, what's that? I said that within the next four years, we do the real Langston Hughes story. And he's like, deal. So that's a bonding con motherfucking track. He agreed to that? Yeah, he did. You heard it here. So that motherfucker. (laughs) No, we'll definitely be... um, at some point, we're going to do that as a full film because it's just his whole story. I feel like I'm shocked that I mean, it's been done before, you know, beautifully. But I'm shocked that Langston Hughes' story really has not been fully, fully told. And I think that it should. What is the part of Langston Hughes' story that you most want folks to know? Hughes House. I think that if you've ever been there in Harlem and you've ever had time to sit there, you feel all that this man was and is you know the fact that this was like one of the fathers of the harlem renaissance Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying and just the idea of all of these incredible artists that came through these halls of hughes house of his home and what they took away you know what i'm saying so he's just such an inspiration to me of the fact that he was again someone who was unapologetically who he was um and he just was. He just was. He just was who he who he was, and so creative and so beautiful. So what, beautiful. What else are you dying to do? Like you're dying to do a Langston project. Is there another project? They're like, oh, I gotta do this. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> when is this gonna air? Uh, soon. Oh shit! I can't talk about that. Right? I can't talk about that. 
Who am I looking at? I can't talk she about that. She said yes. Yvette did not say anything. <laughs> I saw the head nod. She's <laughs> Yvette, I can't talk about. Yeah, I can't talk about that. But yes, there is a project. It's a full musical. And it's, um, it's, it's literally like my passion project. And it'll be done within the next... I mean, I own the rights, so it'll be done in the next, uh, the next bit. For a movie or a TV show? It's a feature film. Wow. wow. And it's uh, going to be pretty special. Um, what attitude has most propelled your success? Which attitude? Hmm. Explain that to me. I need to understand that. I mean, like, I think about the way that we approach situations and we have attitudes within us of of optimism or confidence or, you know, whatever it might be. You know, I, I choose to analyze situation and not get mad. I choose to be, you know, angry first, whatever it is, your attitude. And that shapes how you deal with different situations. And some people have said, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just always confident. I always believe in myself. And that's the thing that propels me upward. Well, maybe that's what propels me is that I'm not always confident. And I'm, I am insecure. You know what I'm saying? And that I, I think that I'm a really genuinely joyous person. But I feel like there's also a big part of me that is sad. And I don't think I don't say that in a way of like I'm sad. Oh my god, me. You know what I'm no, saying? No. It's it, but it is a thing of I know that there is a bit. Uh, there's a sadness that lives inside of me. You know what I'm saying? Like and depression? That, no. Um, shut up, Oprah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> 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 Super Soul Mondays. <laughs> yes. Come on, Ayala, fix this life. Um no, I mean, you know, sometimes but it's not it's not anything that's been diagnosed. And that's a very real thing. So I don't want to just say depression, you know, because that's a very real thing. Um I would just say just like I won't say happy. I I I believe in joy. I don't know if I really believe in happiness as much as I believe in joy because happiness is a feeling and happiness is something that can be taken away. Joy is something that lives deep inside of you Mm. and lives deep inside of your spirit. So even in those moments when you are sad, even in those moments when you're dealing with pain or, 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 or depression or self doubt or anger um, or exhaustion, whatever it may be, there's a place to come back to. And that place lives in you regardless of what you're feeling, you know, and that to me is joy. That's why I experience joy. And I'd rather say that I'm that I I experience joy rather than I experience that I'm a happy person because I'm not happy all the time. But even if I'm even if I'm in pain, I'm still joyful Mm -hmm. because I know that like somebody up there has got me somebody it might be the universe it might be god it might be angels i don't know for sure what it is but i know that somebody and something is watching over me always always i feel it and i know it for sure wow what is your most instructive failure the failure that helped you learn and grow and prove to be something that was in the long run valuable even though in the short run it was difficult Mm, that's a really good question I mean, ask me in a month. We'll see if this album is successful, and then we'll know if that's a failure to tell me something or not. <laughs> no, I mean, 
what what's a failure that's that's taught me something um God, there's been so many failures that have taught me things um, that have taught me as far as how to navigate my career or has taught me as a as a person personally. Yes. Um, and I know that was an either or question, but I, yes. Something that has honestly uh, uh, affected me, which the perception could be a failure might be my situation with Columbia Records. And I've never I've never even said that out loud, but it's it's true. You know, I was so in the beginning, I asked for my contract to be taken back. You know. Um What does that mean? Meaning that I was with Columbia, um and everything was going fine, but it was always being something was happening with Empire. That was always pushing my project to the side. You know what I'm saying? And with every with every I'm trying to sound I'm trying to do this politically correct, honestly. Um, with every success of Empire and with every failure of Empire, I feel like my project got more and more on the back burner. And nobody was being straight with me about just being like, listen. We ain't going to do shit with you, bruh. <laughs> because there were amazing people there that really did want to do things. You know, Sean Holliday is A&R over there, and he is my brother for life. You know what I'm saying? I have nothing but love for him because he he really, really was pushing it. But there's just so much that you can do. And the thing is, is that my ego is strong enough. I'm insecure about a lot of things, but my ego is strong enough to just be like in any situation, whether it's a business relationship, an intimate relationship, a friendship, whatever it is, if you ain't fucking with me, let me go. You know what I'm saying? So, but I was really afraid of, this is just me being honest, I was very afraid that people somehow would think the perception would be that I got dropped, that I, you know, that somehow people would think that I was a failure before I even had a chance to show what I could do, you know? Um, but then that's when you just got to go balls to the wall and be like, listen, regardless of what happens, I have to do what is right for my career, what is right for my art. And I can't just sit around being afraid of what other people will think because at a point you got this person affecting what you're doing and this person affecting what you're doing and this person affecting what you're doing and then you're not affecting shit and you're not doing anything. So at a certain point I had to just be like, I'm going to do this myself. I'm not a billionaire. You know what I'm saying? I don't have Lucius Lyon to back up my album as my daddy. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I was creating music before Empire existed, and I was releasing music, and I had to pull that stuff down once I booked Empire, and I'm grateful for Empire, so let's make that clear. I'm not somebody that's like shitting on the show that no. gave me this amazing platform. Yeah. What I'm saying is, is that I had to just be like, listen, I was creating things with no budget. Now I got a budget, a little tiny ass budget, but I still have a budget, and it's because of Empire. So I have to take that and make it use use it for myself. So I left Columbia and Fox took my contract back and I own my masters 100%. And it's about ownership. It's about freedom. It's about not sitting in a room with a bunch of old, straight, white men playing them my art that I have put all of my heart and soul into and them telling me what piece of that art 
should be heard by the very people that it was created for. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. And for me, I recognize that the moment that I was sitting in that room, and that was that aha moment of, nah, I got to fucking go. I got to go. It took me a year to actually be able to do that. But it happened, and I'm grateful. And I'm grateful for everybody at Columbia that pushed it. So you took your deal back, mm-hmm. and you produced your album independently? Mm-hmm. Sure did. See, my publicist over she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she's from Grenada, so she like got the island gal. She's mm-hmm. over there, she's like, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Look what that boy did. <laughs> So, so wait, but how did that? How does that change the project? When you're like, I'm gonna. So you're fun. You funded it, mm-hmm. and every you, single cent, every single cent, every producer, every mixer, every single picture you paid has for been Swiss paid Beats? by me. Swiss Beats. Every producer, every engineer. He ain't cheap. Every producer, every <laughs> engineer. That was that was it's like all me. that was like three episodes to get one Swiss beat song. <laughs> like seven seasons and we was in we in season four. No. Um I'm I'm also blessed without you know letting anything out there. I'm blessed that people believed in me and for whatever reason, I don't know what I did in another life. You know, I'm not here to talk about nobody's deals, but but I don't know what I did in another life to have people come on board and be so giving and so just Wonderful. I think I was a real good fucking person in my last life because, and I'm like reaping the benefits of the person that I was now. Um, but yeah, every single cent. And there are times that I wake up at night with like anxiety, and I'll call up Yvette or my manager Brandon or or a friend or or somebody like that, and I'll just be like, I'm like having sweats that I'm gonna be a broke ass motherfucker, but I'm not, and. This is what you do for your art. And I would rather do this than to sit around and have a lot of stuff, a lot of cash in my account and have and continuously do and say and sing what other people put in my mouth. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with doing that, but I can't get creative blue balls and only do that. I have to do what speaks to me as well or else it doesn't it doesn't. It's just a cycle. It's just a circle where I'm paying my bills and so what's it all you, for. So you have that freedom mm-hmm. that you, you, you divorced from that, from the traditional business, and you got that freedom. Uh, does that come out in the music and in the booth and these sort of things? Absolutely. How? That's why the first single that I released was called Freedom. You know what I'm saying? And it was just... My mother would always call me when I was growing up. She would always call me a quiet storm. She'd always be like, I remember my father sometimes, he'd be like, he'd be like how come you don't talk? How come when we, when we all sitting around here talking, you don't, you don't talk more? And my mom would be like, he's a quiet storm. Leave him alone. He's a quiet storm. He talks when he has something to say. And for me, that's just what it is. That's what it is. You know, I... I it comes out in my music and I just quietly record it. I didn't feel the need to like be, you know, taking pictures of me in the booth. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I didn't feel the need to be taking pictures of me in the booth and being like being like recording my debut album. You know what I'm saying? I got I was disappointed so many times of us being like, yeah, this is when we're going to release it. 
and then it not happening. I mean, like, yeah, this is the date. I can I can announce this date. Yeah, announce that date. I announce the date, and then fans are like, yo, this fool's like tripping. He's a liar, or he's just whack. You know what I'm saying? So it became a thing where I stopped saying dates until I had a date that was my own, and it's my own. What do you miss from the label? Because freedom costs money. So I wonder if there's anything that you're like, I would like to have that, but this this over here is good enough. I think that having a label probably would be much easier in the short run as far as financially. But at the same time, it's like you got to pay all that back. Mm-hmm. So right now, I'm able to look at everything that's going out and everything that's coming in in a much healthier way than I would with a label. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sorry, it's 2018. You know what I'm saying? Like, when I got my deal with Columbia, I never never took the um, the sign-in bonus. Like, I didn't want it. Because I'm like, what the fuck am I going to take that for? I got to pay y'all niggas back. Why? Why do I want it? And my whole thing is, you got to realize, like, I've been around for a minute. I'm in my 30s. So it's not like I'm some 20-year-old who this is the first thing that he's done. This is this is my life, and my art is my life. And I can't just be like, take people's word as, as fact. And I remember I got my manager, Brandon Moore, and he came and he's like, yo, man, he's like, just so you know, there's a lot of record labels that are really interested, that blah, 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 blah. And I told him, I was like, my heart can't take that. I was like, my heart cannot take it. Don't bring me any other. Don't bring me any other record labels. contracts. I, my heart, my heart cannot take it because I just want to put out music. Everything else, I make money off of Empire. I need to put out my music. I'm not creatively satisfied, and it doesn't mean that I'm not grateful for the opportunity. Of course, but at some point. We settle into our gratitude and we're still grateful for every single thing that we have, but you have to settle in your gratitude and recognize when something's not working for you. And it's okay. It's nobody's fault, really. You just got to know it's not working for me. It's like a relationship that breaks up when it's like, it's not really, oh, why'd y'all break up? And you think about it and you're like, damn, there's no like concrete reason. There's nothing that like this person did to me. There's nothing like this person didn't cheat on me, never slapped me around. Like I never hit them. We never like fucked over each other. Like they never stole from me. They never disrespected my mama. It was just a thing. For whatever reason, it just wasn't gelling right. So I had to go off and do my own thing. That's all. Um, what's your superpower? Love. I don't even have to think twice about it. Self-love? Love for every single human being, including myself. Love. That go like, I love extremely deeply. Like, extremely deeply. And my sense of loyalty, and that's all I need from anybody else that's around me. People that I work with, friends, lover, family. All I need is for them to be loyal and honest with me. That's it. Anything else, I don't need your money. I don't need, I don't need anything from you. I, ju- I don't need your status. I don't need you to support my projects. I just need for you to be loyal and honest. That's all. That's all. Because I know that every single thing about me is debatable, except my capacity to love and my sense of loyalty. Those are just not debatable. You can ask anybody. I know as a fact that shit ain't debatable. It's not debatable. 
What drives you? Love. I lead with love. I don't know how to do it any other way. I would, I would crash and fall if I lost that part of me. If I lost my ability to see love, to smell love, to taste love, to, to be love, I would literally, I might as well just die. And I mean that like not in a dramatic way. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. So folks who, if I was a... Is Neil over there crying? <laughs> Neil is over there crying. That's true. <laughs> oh, Neil, I love you. That's why we I love Neil. She's so emotional with a punk ass. I love you, Nilly. <laughs> you crazy. When does the stand-up Look, comedy Neil, tour? Yo, Neil literally, let me tell you about Neil. Neil has been been my groomer, a.k.a. she paid a nigga's face. <laughs> she's been my groomer. The only reason why she's, you know, we've been doing television. I don't walk around with Neil. Neil's also my friend now. Um, but Neil... My little brother came to visit, and he was going to the airport, and I gave him my credit card so that he could get to the airport. This is my baby brother. And Neil starts crying. I'm like, the hell is wrong with you? He's like, it's just so sweet that you gave him your card. I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> She's a crybaby more than I am. If uh, <laughs> it is, It is very sweet. Um, I do. I get a sense of great cohesion and love from you and your family and i've met your sis- your older sister and i've been seeing your younger sister around for a while i i get a sense of you guys are really tight extremely extremely i don't know what i would do without my siblings like i love them those are my best friends in the whole world the purest love that i've ever experienced are my siblings are you the third of mm-hmm. five yeah my no third of six so my little sister journey and myself are the middle kids so to speak. Wow. Wow. My parents had no hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently they had one hobby. They had one. <laughs> That's a lot of people in the house. That's a lot of damn people. Wow. A lot of people. Wow. But it was great. I mean, we had, growing up, we had nothing. And then we had something. And then we had nothing. And then we had a little bit. And then we had nothing. And we had a lot. And then we had nothing. Um. But I think that that's also why I take things into my own hands because I remember when I was 14, my mom started buying music equipment. And I remember her telling me, she's like, I remember sitting around writing songs and just being like, I got to get to a producer. Like, I need somebody to produce this. And I remember my mom being like, you better learn how to do it yourself. And that's with anything. She's like, and you better remember that nobody is going to give a damn about your stuff more than you. So you need to do it yourself. And from that moment on, I was just like, let me learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. Let me learn how to do this. That's powerful advice. Very, very. Because you think you might create something and get somebody else to run around as fast. Mm-hmm. No, if it's your thing, nobody's going to work as right. hard at it as you. No one. No one's going to believe in your book or your podcast or your show more than you because you know how dope it's going to be even if you can't explain it to other people yeah you know what i'm saying i literally sat there and i explained to yvette and my whole team my video for hurt people which is coming out we shot it in south africa and when i first 
recorded the song about a year ago, I said, we're doing this video in South Africa. I saw it in my head. I knew exactly what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be based on Nelson Mandela. I wanted to play a character that's loosely based on Nelson Mandela. I wanted it to be with him and all of the men that were with him. I wanted to experience the what, what it did to the women that were affected by this. Like, I wanted to shoot in the prison. We did all that. We did all that. It's coming out in like a week. And literally, we did all of that. So, and I acted it out for Yvette and she called me up yesterday. Can I tell the story? She called me up yesterday and she was in tears because she saw the first edit and she's like, it's exactly what you explained to me. It's exactly what you acted out to me. Mm. And I acted it out because I saw before I filmed it because I saw it in my head and that's why I've directed every visual for this album so far because I know what it looks like and I need to set the tone for what my shit is going to look like. So I have a very clear vision and... I'd like to say that I'm not a control freak, but I'm, I know that I am. But only in the most loving way. Like, I'm just well, trying to control what I can control. I mean, an artist should be. Yeah. And we live in a world where not everything is in your control. So the things that you can control, who you love, who you treat well, you have no control over who treats you well. But you have control over who you treat well. You know what I'm saying? That's what the, hurt, the song Hurt People is about. Just this idea of hurt people hurt people and then they say goodbye they leave you empty and then it's this cycle that feeds itself but we have the power as a people to stop that cycle we can end that shit if we really want to i mean when you're in robin island well we shot at constitution hill which was the first prison that he was taken before being taken to robin island okay yeah. well when you're when you're in constitution hill and the history that comes to you and the dream that you had is coming to fruition. So there's the pain and the joy in one. I mean, what is that moment? And and you're also directing, so you got to be on point. Right. That was the most emotional. That was one of the most emotional moments of my life. I cried so much. I cried so much. It's embarrassing. But it's something that I'm not embarrassed about being emotional about. It's this moment where... I've never in my life felt so complete and I've never in my life felt so in my own skin, like exactly where I was supposed to be. And that's why I really genuinely want to start like a birthright Africa, the way that we have birthright Israel for young Mm. Jewish kids. If we had a birthright Africa where young kids could go there, it doesn't matter what they're doing in their lives, whether they're getting in trouble or whether they are scholars. If young children go to Africa, wherever, promise you they will come back changed. For the better. Was that, that was not your first time going to Africa. It was my first time. It was. It was my first time, and I've done so much work. I remember I used to work in the office for Artists for New South Africa for almost six years, raising money for children infected and affected with, by HIV AIDS in South Africa and in the States. And I did delegations. Journey went on those delegations that I planned for her and Samuel L. Jackson and Alfred Woodard and Carlos Santana and Deborah Santana, and they all met, met, uh, met President Mandela. Um before he passed, obviously before he passed, uh, and but it, but I had never been there, and I had been waiting for so long. So South Africa it meant so much to go there, and I went there, and it was just one big ass embrace, one big ass embrace. Like I'm just like, the next time someone says go back to Africa, I'm like, I motherfucker. I would love to. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> Fucking call Marcus Garvey. Get me the fuck there. <laughs> like, I mean, I know 
the impact that my first trip to Africa had on me. I mean, and you want you want there to be a birthright Africa. You want people to want to go there. So what did you get out of going to Africa? What did you learn? How did it change you? What it made me realize, and I feel like I take a lot of pride in being in the know, you know, being connected to my people, knowing my history. But there is something when you come back, there's something that is not lost on me that I'm the first, I'm the first man in my entire lineage that has made the choice to leave African land and come to the United States. Because mm. the last one in my family, the last man in my family did not have a choice. You know what I'm saying? Like He wasn't like, oh, luxury cruise line, the most popular cruise line in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like That was some shit. So it's not lost on me the fact that I am the first man, third human in my family, because my older sister Jazz was the first one to go there and my little sister Journey was the second one to go there. Um, and it's not lost on me. You know what I'm saying? That, 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 but I, what, what I do get is that if we were to do a birthright Africa, there would be kids that were going there trying to fuck around, trying to be like, you know, oh, I'm going on a free trip to Africa. But I guarantee you that doesn't even matter because once they're there, you're gonna, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your intention when you go. It right. only matters what you get and right. what you are fed once you're there. I mean, I see the connection of other people to their homeland, mm-hmm. even if they don't go. Absolutely. There's a strong connection. They feel connected to Italy, Poland, whatever it is. And it, 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 it strengthens you just through life, mm-hmm. just knowing where you came from. Mm-hmm. And we have a break. We have, and, and there are people walking around confused yes. and listen it's not entirely their their fault yes you know what i'm saying it's because it's our circumstances but at this point now we've got to do the work in order to ensure that the future generations will not be as confused as maybe we were mm. or our parents were or our grandparents were because my mother fought you know what i'm saying my mother marched with angela davis angela davis is a part of my family wow. you know what i'm saying like i grew up with these people being around me you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, she don't know where she comes from. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, She knows that her mother comes from New Orleans. She knows that her, her family comes from Texas. That's the South, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like That's not where we're from. Right. That's not where we're from. That's why it's like, I'm an African living in America, and I embrace that shit fully. Fully. I'm an African living in America. That's what I am. Yeah. So anything else is just, there's a certain confusion that young people are walking around with that, and that old people are walking around with. And when you rekindle that connection and you see them and you see where you came from and you see the roots. When you're looking at these women and you can see your mother's face in theirs, there's nothing more magical yeah i'm just like yo you literally look like my mom oh my god you look like my grandma who i've never even met but you look like my grandma oh my god you look like my uncle jeffrey now without the jerry curl you you will go back to africa and sometimes encounter some miscommunication 
I remember I went to, I was in Senegal, and my man took me to like this rural village way, way out where they were living in little huts. And, and I was like, great, I want to see all of it. And I remember I was talking to this little boy, he's like six or something, and, and like, you know, his mom and his aunties or whatever were standing like just behind him, these three black women. And he pointed at me and he used the word that I had learned meant white man. And I said, no. I'm black like you. And his three mom aunties were dying laughing like I was Chris Rock. That was the funniest thing they ever heard. You think you're black like us? <laughs> That's hysterical. And a lot of us have gone over there and been told, you're white to us. And especially at this at this complexion. I wasn't told that. They're like, you're they white. They know I'm black as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Black is a motherfucker. They already know. They know it's good. Maybe you need to introduce yourself to them. To <laughs> Maybe you rolled up in there acting like a white nigga. No. <laughs> is that what you did? Did you do that? No, I was, I was so happy to be did there. Did you roll up in so... there? Keepers, call it Gosh, Africa. Or did you walk up in there being a dumbass being like, nah, please don't tell me you did that. Because, yeah. <laughs> They're going to be like, you ain't black. <laughs> oh, my God. What do, what do I sound like to you? Is that what I sound like to you? I mean, they just never, none of them told me that I wasn't black. I, I don't know. What is it? What is it? <laughs> I mean, I'm, just, I'm just confused. What did you do to them? What did you do to I my people? I didn't. I didn't do nothing to them. I didn't do nothing to them. Did you guys, I'm sure you guys at home put on all kinds of crazy plays and yeah concerts i wrote a lot of plays i mean if there was six of y'all there's a there's a lot of people to be up in this play up in this concert we thought that we were like the black von traps okay yeah we really did okay we really did um my mother i always say is like a cross between cookie lion and fraulein maria okay sound the music okay so there's this yeah we were singing and dancing all the time that's what we did you know we didn't have money but we had, but that stuff is free. You know, you can always make a song. You can always dance. You know, we would go to like one movie a year. I remember the year that it was like the greatest thing ever because we went to the Zigfeld and watched um, Garbage Pail Kids. Okay. <laughs> like that was, oh my God, that was like, we didn't made it. That was your movie for the yeah. year. And then, because um, I remember once we got a little bit of money, we would go to the movies every single Friday. Then we went broke again, and then we couldn't go to the movies anymore. So there's that. Is this your father's fortunes that you're going up and down financially, or is it... This is... I think this is all of it. I think this is... Um, you know, once we had our show, there was a certain life that we had to we had to live as far as security. Not as far as, you know, we've never been a showy family. We've always driven cars that were big enough for us, but, you know, I still... I drive a, a Jeep. You know what I'm saying? Like, and before, and I just got that. And to me, that was the upgrade from my Prius. So, you know, that's just who we are. Like, I'm never going to be showy. I'm never going to have on. My mother would always raise us to be like, no, you're not wearing a Gucci belt. You're not a walking billboard. Are they paying you? Why are you advertising them on your clothes? You know what I'm saying? So that's why you see me in a lot of like concert t-shirts, a lot of like gift bag t-shirts because I'm cheap as hell. Like Jeff Tweedy from Sean John came into my rehearsal yesterday and gave me a hashtag black excellence shirt. Bruh, trust me, I will be wearing that shirt for probably the next four weeks because that's just how I roll. I have so many free t-shirts and I always wear them. Always. This is not mine that I'm wearing right now. 
<laughs> it's true. These ain't my shoes. These ain't my pants. The only thing I'm wearing that's mine are my drawers and my socks. <laughs> wow, when people stop being polite. Look, there's... Last thing. Did you just quote the real world? No doubt. Did you just no quote doubt. the real world? No doubt. <laughs> oh, shit. Were you on the real world? I was not. No, no. I feel like you could have been on the real no, world. No, but... Or you would have been like the token black dude that they had be the anchor for MTV News. What? <laughs> Okay, I don't even know what to do with that. The times of Kurt Loder, remember? I, Tabitha well, I, Soren. I, 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 I worked. I worked for MTV News with Tabitha Soren and did they Kurt Loder and Allison Stewart? And no, I was a writer. I was writing the news. I was not on at that time. And then they went and got Caduce. So what are you saying? <laughs> what are you saying? Found another nigga with curly hair. <laughs> Yo, this black family in New Orleans once thought I was Caduce. And I was like, no, thank you, but I'm not. I mean, I know him. He's cool, but I'm not. And they were like, stop lying. And they would not let it go. They were like, I want to see your driver's license. Did you take a picture as Caduce? No, no. I was just like, no, Did I'm not sign Caduce. Did like, sign they... an autograph, just put a big ass No, cue? they just kept swearing. They would not let it go. I'm like, yo, I'm not Caduce. And shout out to him, but I'm not Caduce. Next time I see you, I'm going to be like, Caduce. <laughs> You're be like, bro, it's yeah. me. Like, we know each other. I'm not going to be Caduce. <laughs> For, um, there are young black gay boys throughout this country who look up to you, sure. who want to be like you. Um, what is your advice to them? What should, what do they need to know? That I'm honored that, that they would look up to me. That I don't shy away from that. You know what I'm saying? That it means a great deal to me. And it's a responsibility that I take on very seriously. And But that I would hope that they would also be their own, their own influence. That they would look up to me, the good and the bad about me. The things that they love, the things that they can't stand. You know what I'm saying? And just be inspired, but just be you. When I say be who you are, that doesn't just mean your sexuality. That means exactly who you are meant to be. If you are what society considers to be a geek, motherfucker, be the best damn geek you can be. You know what I'm saying? If you are what society considers to be sensitive or whatever, be that. Be that, but be it fully. My mom would always tell us when we were acting, because she's the only acting coach that we've ever had. She'd be like, whatever you're going to do, do it fully. It's like life. It's exactly what she says. Like, if you're going to put your hands in your pockets, put your hands in your pockets. If you're going to fold your arms, fold your arms. But whatever you're going to do, be a G about that shit and do it. And do it fully. Do it with honor. Do it with love and do it with respect. Don't chase after boys. Don't chase after fame. Chase after success based on your talent and your respect as a human being. Jussie is crazy, but he's also a lovely human being. His mama raised him well. Daddy, too. Thanks so much to Jussie for taking the time, and thank you for listening. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please stop by and say hi. And if you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review, and tell a friend who you think would like the show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Chris Colbert and Matt Ford with help from Shelby Royston and William Jolly and in association with Cadence 13 Studios. We're giving you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. 
You can make your dreams a reality, and I hope this show can be one bit of help toward that. We'll be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks, because the man can't shut us down. Join us next Wednesday when my guest will be Van Jones. When you see people get torn apart on national media, and we all sit back and laugh, I never laugh. I've been that person. And here's what it feels like. It feels like somebody has taken your face and torn it off and stapled some ugly face on it, some other face. That's only this one mistake you made or this one downfall. That's next Wednesday on Torre Show. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.